The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your hope. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S., And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is services for supporting seniors, family caregivers directly. Now, the question of services for supporting seniors, family caregivers directly is more and more important because, for one thing, it's clearer and clearer that though medical care for seniors is essential, it just isn't sufficient. It's also true that for care of seniors, medications are often needed, but family caregiving is needed too, and maybe it's needed even more than medication. So should support for family caregiving go directly to family caregivers, and in any case, what does direct support actually mean? Now to discuss these and related questions that our guests are Ray Applebaum and Amy McFarlane. Now, first of all, Ray um, has since 1998 been the CEO of Peel Senior Link, a non-profit charitable organization. This makes independent living possible for seniors who might otherwise be expected to go into long-term care or hospitals. Ray is the moderator and producer for Rogers Television's Aging in Peel. His experience includes managing special projects, work with the Regional Geriatric Program of Toronto, and board member of the Ontario Gerontology Association. And he's received the Canadian Healthcare Association's Award for Distinguished Service, among many recognitions for, recognitions for his work for seniors. Now, Amy is founder and CEO of Recreational Respite, Inc., a company which provides for creative living and innovative care. She took on the dedication and commitment to creating the company, Recreational Respite, after she recognized the need in the community for supportive and inclusive environments for people with cognitive impairments, physical challenges, and developmental diversities. A passion in the field of healthcare is united with a hands-on, educated and expert background in personal support work, healthcare and business development, therapeutic recreation, health sciences and gerontology. So welcome to the show, Ray and Amy. Thank you. Good to have you. Now, first of all, with you, Ray, please, first question. 
Just tell us a little bit more about your career and how you came to be interested in services for seniors and their family caregivers. Thank you very much, Gordon. I think initially the experience that I had uh, as a young person, as a teenager, with two grandparents, uh, one of which uh, had Parkinson's disease, and uh, as he progressed, uh, I was spending... Amy, um, I'm going to ask the, question, the same question to you, Amy, until we get Ray back online. You know, this, these telecommunications aren't always as reliable as we would like them to be. <laughs> so, Amy, I want you to tell us about your career and how you became interested in service for seniors and their family caregivers. Sure. So I actually started in the nursing role, working with individuals uh, who were in neuro- neurological rehab in a hospital setting. And it was in that um, position that I really was able to identify that I wanted to continue on uh, and help these people when they were once discharged to their homes and their families and really support them through advocacy and helping them to identify other resources that could maximize their quality of life. That's really how I got started in, in the interest of moving forward in developing something like recreational respite. Now, what about your own family background? Have you had any experience with family caregiving? Yes. So certainly, in our own experiences of caring for a loved one who was affected by Alzheimer's disease, it became quite uh, you know, known that the lack of resources that we knew as a family, a very typical family trying to figure out the system, if you will, on our own, with our own device, um, was very overwhelming, very emotionally and physically draining in many cases where many of us took on the roles of becoming caregivers um, ourselves. And it was really while doing that that it helped us identify that we needed someone who could help us find out all of the services that my loved one was entitled to and how to access them and how we were going to pay for them and how they were going to help him uh, remain in his home or an environment that was supportive for his needs. Amy, I've heard a lot of people um, say exactly what you've just said. That is the sense of what, what do we do where do we go for information, where's the help, and that kind of thing. And that, I think, is a very profound message that we, all of us, understand, and all of us who are involved in providing services need to understand even better. Now, let's talk about recreational respite. How do you say it? Is it respite or respite? (laughs) Tomato, tomato, Dr. Atheli. I I hear it both ways, so I interchangeably use the word. (laughs) It started out as recreational respite, and somehow it's evolved into respite. So (laughs) we're not really sure sometimes. (laughs) The concept of the word is to give a break um, and to offer the support to either the client themselves, the individual, and or their caregiver. So... Really what it boils down to is as long as we're providing that, it's, uh, the core value is still there. <laughs> okay. Now, tell us more about the services um, at uh, the recreational respite respite actually offers. What do you do? Well, so you see, in our own experiences in caregivers, we found that there was quite conventional methods of caring for loved ones. We had nursing support that was pretty standard, um, that we were having people coming in and helping with bathing and activities of daily living, which is, was wonderful and very needed. But 
one of the things that we were able to identify myself in early on in my career before recreational respite was developed was the need for further stimulation. Someone who could successfully engage our loved one, who identified what the disease was, what the next phase would be, the what if and, and the how to, the, the next factor. Um, and that was really important to me, even working in a hospital setting as well as working in our own environment, our own family's dynamics and environment. So being able to clearly identify that some of the people coming in couldn't necessarily successfully engage our loved one. So we needed someone who had those expertise. So my team consists of uh, recreation therapists who are skilled, education background, and hands-on expertise in successfully engaging those that have cognitive challenges, physical um, disabilities, and or developmental disabilities. To give them that, you know, that really optimal, maximized quality of life. Yeah. That's really the story, isn't it, behind more and more of the services that are going to be needed Mm -hmm. um, for seniors as age takes over. And also that's where the help for family caregivers is going to be needed too. Mm -hmm. Now, it happens that we've recaptured Ray. So... I'm going to ask him now. Ray, are you there? I am. I'm sorry about that. I got cut off. Okay. It happens to us all at the best of times. So, Ray, you were just telling us about your career and how you became interested in services for seniors, and you've been talking about your, you know, your family experience. And I also want you to know, want you to answer the question, so I've made it a double question, um, what are the chiefly the services that Peel Senior Link offers to family caregivers? Sure. Uh, Peel Senior Link uh, is providing what we originally called supportive housing, and I'll explain that in more detail. We now call it supports for daily living. So we're the support service provider in seniors' homes. Uh, so this is independent living, uh, non-institutional. They're not in a long-term care home or retirement residence. They're living in an apartment building, uh, a single dwelling uh, out in the community. And what we do is we have support workers around the clock. So we provide 24-hour service with personal support and homemaking services. So the kinds of things that our staff would be doing to support seniors to live independently is bathing and dressing, meal assistance, essential shopping, medication assistance, laundry, light housekeeping, those kinds of things, and 24-hour emergency response. So those are the core services. In addition to that, we also provide a whole range of other supports to seniors in those buildings or in their homes, things like foot care clinics, uh, diabetes management programs, falls prevention, education programs for clients and caregivers. So we're really ensuring that not only do we have the core services in place, but we have the other related services that individuals need on a day-to-day basis. Ray, what's a lighthouse service? Sorry, Gordon. Just what is a that? lighthouse service? You mentioned that. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm not, I don't have a great connection. I apologize. Okay. Um, you'd mentioned something that I heard to be lighthouse. What does that mean? Lighthouse keeping? Yes. Oh, okay, sorry. So in lighthouse keeping, we would be providing some uh, vacuuming, 
um, we would be doing cleaning of clothes um, and, uh, you know, bedding so that we would be helping seniors who have those kinds of needs. So just keeping in mind the population that we serve, to put this into perspective, are quite frail and elderly. We do a common assessment that we provide for all of our clients, and through that assessment we determine in discussion with the individual clients and their caregivers what programs and services are most going to meet their needs to live independently and safely in the community. I'm going to ask you this question again later on probably, but let me ask it you now. What do you reckon are the savings to the healthcare system in what you're doing? Quite significant. Um, we've done some economic analysis of that question, and if you take out the, the rental uh, of property or ownership of property, which is not the area that we're involved in, and you just look at the support services, to give you an idea, we operate somewhere around 60 to $70 a day to care for an individual. So if you looked at a long-term care home or facility, you'd be looking more in the range of $120 to $140. So you can see there's quite a significant savings in having individuals in a program like ours living in the community. Of course, there's many other benefits to just the financial and economic. There's also the quality of life, and that's a, that's a really big factor. And for those individuals who can and appropriately can live safely in the community, this is, a, in my opinion, it's a far better solution. Now, that's a great point on which to go off into the break because, as I'm always saying, this is the time when we do have to pay the rent. Um, so let's do that now. Go to the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Ray Applebaum and Amy McFarland. If you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with Hosea Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. 
assumed leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Assumed leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Assumed leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Ray Applebaum and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is services for supporting seniors' family caregivers directly. So let's talk about support for senior, seniors' family caregivers. And starting with you, Ray, please. What's actually meant by supporting family caregivers directly? So there's probably, Gordon, three ways, in my opinion, looking at this. The first would be related to supporting, as I mentioned in the prior segment, uh, an aging population in terms of living safely and appropriately in their own home. So those would be what we call activities of daily living, helping people with those things that many of us just take for granted, whether that's shopping, transportation, getting to medical appointments, banking, uh, all of those kinds of things that we need to assist people with, personal their personal care, their medication reminders, so those kinds of things. The second area would be more related to what is uh, not common in the system, but certainly there are examples of it where the health system, health and social services system provides financial um, support to families and then they can choose where they purchase their services. We're not seeing that significantly in the in the health system today, but it's certainly there are some pilots and and some uh, some of the provinces in Canada and territories are starting to use that that type of uh, opportunity for caregivers, so direct payment for service. And then the the third area would be supporting caregivers uh, as we do in knowledge and education transfer. So what I'm referring to there is providing family members with a greater knowledge and understanding of some of the challenges that their aging parents or relatives are experiencing. So whether that's dementia, uh, medication support, diabetes management, so that when the family is together with the individual, they are armed with knowledge and information about how to support them through some of those challenges that they're experiencing. Um, and certainly the area of respite is a critical area. So providing uh, caregivers, family members with some time away from being a caregiver because for some of them it's a 24-hour clock. Um, when you're dealing with dementias at later stages, Alzheimer's disease, you're looking at a situation where in a, in a more advanced stage, 
you're spending an awful lot of time during the day caring for that individual. So that respite or break is critical for the caregiver to give them an opportunity to do some of the things that they need to get away and do and spend some time away from the individual. And so certainly the agency takes that responsibility and provides what we would call respite support. So those are at least three or four areas that I would describe family caregivers' direct support. Great. Amy, respite services. (laughs) What are the services that you offer um, that you would call support for family caregivers directly, and how do they fit into those three categories that Ray was just, uh, just describing? Amy? Right. So very, very much the same path as what Ray is describing is that empowerment and that advocacy for not only the individual themselves, but for their caregivers who are caring for them. In our role, really, it's about how do we successfully engage that individual who's been affected by a cognitive impairment or a physical challenge or a developmental disability, and what can we do to help the caregiver also successfully engage their loved one when they're with them, possibly, but then we also provide that respite factor in our one-to-one services where we can be the ones to come in and actually engage them in something that's meaningful um, and ongoing, in something that's based on the individual's strengths, abilities, and interests. But we also provide small group-based programs similar to what we're familiar with, Parks and Rec programming, but it's built for those specifically who couldn't take part in Parks and Rec and who are also not capable or possibly ready to attend an adult day program of sorts. So giving that kind of respite um, to the caregiver a couple of hours, perhaps it's once a week or a couple of times a week, is also um, something that we do that directly supports the family caregivers while engaging their loved ones in something that's meaningful to them. Right. That's that's how we address that. But it's very much about how we can help the caregiver through the journey, if you will, in the most positive um, way possible. Ray, um, Mm -hmm. what do you see as the main types of supports and services that that are or could be most helpful? And what I'm after here is that we've covered already quite a lot of services And I'm wondering if you've got any sense of priority, you know, which in relation to seniors, in relation to Mm -hmm. programmers, this kind of Mm -hmm. thing, are the most helpful, the ones that you put at the top of your list, right? Well, I I think, uh, you know, I reviewed comments from our caregivers over the last few years, and and as I look at that and talk to caregivers out in in our community, what I hear from them is that first they want to be part of um a larger group. So it's really important for them to be part of a support group. Not for everybody, for those who can participate. That's extremely helpful because it does a number of things. Um, it, you become engaged with other individuals who are having like experiences. And then you're able to talk to each other about what are some of the opportunities and experiences that they've had that's made a difference to them and help them get through their days and weeks and months uh, in caring for an individual. And so I think that that's one of them. And I think the other is, is just being associated with other individuals who are having a common experience and being able to share your stories. And so the, I think support groups are extremely helpful uh, for caregivers. Um, you know, that burnout is something that caregivers experience all the time. We hear a lot about it. 
Um, they're either, if they're working, uh, they're working and being a caregiver after hours, which, as we know, is, is a tremendous task, or they're caregiving most of the day and throughout the week and the weekend. So really very little break. Uh, so those support groups become extremely helpful. So I, I would suggest that that's an area that we used to do a lot more work in this area. And unfortunately in healthcare, it, it hasn't been an area that we've been able to spend that kind of time. And when we listen to Amy and the good work of her company, I think you're hearing about a more personalized approach that she's able to take which is not one necessarily that public-funded programs have been able to maintain or continue. It has been a difficult area. So I would challenge ourselves to suggest that we need to do more of that. Amy, back to you. What are the really key things in your mind that make direct support helpful to seniors, family caregivers? And I'm asking, when I say your experience, like Ray, please draw on the things that you hear from the people to whom you provide services and the kind of feedback you get. So what are the really key things, Amy? Well, you know what? It, it, it comes back to that support is, is huge with peers, um, peer-to-peer support. Uh, we get a lot of where we're working with the individuals one-to-one where many of the families could benefit from speaking to one another. And so we try to facilitate as much of that as possible sort of on their own time to be able to connect. Um, certainly, it, for me, in the clients that we're working with, the individuals themselves really maintaining that sense of role and worth um, for them. And then in the caregivers, it really comes back to that advocacy and empowering them to not necessarily challenge the system, but be very aware of what they can access. I think there's some fantastic programs out there in the community, and caregivers emotionally, when they're involved, become extremely overwhelmed and not necessarily able to step back and really see what their options are. So having people like Ray and myself and our great teams in the community advocating for these people is really what's most important I see. Mm-hmm. Now, we've, I've got a question for both of you, but... We have limited time because, of course, it's the break that's looming up. So, Ray, I'm going to ask you this. What would you say was the most important or challenging challenge that you see or hear about in providing your services and the challenge being to the family caregivers? What's the top of the list? Well, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two. And I'll be brief. One is access, number one. Mm -hmm. So access uh, in terms of ease of accessing the information in a very simple uh, and readable way that people don't have to go through a whole lot of paper to find you and find the right service or support. And two is also related to access is navigation through the system. So as people are either entering or in the health system, the other challenge that we hear all the time is transitioning or moving through different components of the health system. That's a real challenge for family caregivers. Got it. Amy, same question for you. What are the challenges you hear about? Very, very much the same. And I think the biggest thing I see is, and I constantly speak to, is collaboration of other professionals that are involved in the care plan of these individuals and also those that are working with the caregivers. More collaboration, more holding hands, less working in silos and really working at optimizing support for these individuals. Now, if I can just put this supplementary to you, Amy. 
Yes, I understand that, and it's very clear. And as a physician, I, admittedly from the past, I know what you're talking about. On the other hand, what we're also talking about, both of you, with both of you, are services that lie somewhat outside uh, the healthcare system. And therefore, the question for you, Amy, is how do you go about, if you do do this, um, this coordination among the healthcare professionals and services? How do, how do I personally yeah. go about it? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think it, it sort of it's, it depends on where we're, the individuals are coming from, whether they're coming from a medical environment already or if they're coming from the community sort of lost uh, out to sea, if you will, of, of where to start. So it really depends on how they're coming into us. But, I mean, you know, I always start with the servicing chapters first. For example, the Alzheimer's Societies and the MS Societies, the Parkinson Societies, and really try to work closely with them right. and make sure that there's a steady stream of uh, opportunity for these individuals. So basically you're encouraging them to go to doors that you know about, which they may not have known about ahead of time. And yes. In yes, other words, absolutely. That, that's a, getting them started, and this is back to Ray's navigation point. Now, right. we are at the break once more. They do come up so quickly. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Ray Applebaum and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety channel. Please stay tuned. We are coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark. Paul Fresh Clark and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Des Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Ray Applebaum and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is services 
for supporting seniors, family caregivers, directly. So let's talk about the challenges of doing just that, directly supporting seniors, family caregivers. Starting with you, Amy, what are the challenges you see, um, that is from the perspective of someone providing services, in directly supporting seniors, family caregivers? So uh, I think the first thing that I would start with here is the overwhelming role itself of being a caregiver. I think that's really where it starts um, that we see with the individuals and their loved ones is is how big the role of caregiving becomes. Um, and also, I think that a lot of the caregivers that we work with have very little knowledge. They're getting better now, but they have very little knowledge upon, say, discharge of their loved ones coming home from the hospital of the disease or the impairment that their loved one's suffering from. And they're sort of left to their own devices to kind of figure out the what next factor. So along with that, you know, it's very overwhelming to try to, to understand what your loved one's going through. But then comes that burnout rate, and then we get that reactive response as opposed to the proactive response of putting services in place. Often they're, they're left in a crisis situation. Um, that's what we see a lot of. I think that's the challenge because there's a lot of emotion-based um, in speaking to caregivers, trying to help them. And when that emotion gets involved with their you know, their, exhaust, their exhaustion, um, it becomes very difficult to be able to support them with all of the things that they need right off the bat. Right. Ray, same question. What are the challenges you see or hear about when you're directly supporting seniors? Right. Caregivers? Well, I, I have to agree with, with Amy, my colleague. Um, we're typically dealing with individuals and, and uh, family caregivers who are already into a crisis situation. So it does become more challenging to sort of sort of what are the first, uh, second, and third priorities. So one of the things that we, we really recommend and participate in is educating the, the broader community about the issues of aging, and that's one of the reasons why I got into my Aging in Peel series, Gordon, uh, which you were one of my guests. And, and what we want to do is really share with the community before they get into a crisis, what are the options uh, and opportunities that are out there as they, as their loved one moves into a situation where care is becoming critical and they need to reach out to the community and look where the services and programs are that, that they can share. So I think that that's one of the ways to, to get around that crisis situation because it's just so much easier when you're dealing with a situation where people have planned their situation to some degree or at least know where to turn and have some understanding of what they're going to be dealing with. The other area would be community engagement. We need to do, we, the health system, need to do a better job of engaging um, our broader population and caregivers in the community uh, in a more active way, in a more significant way. And more than just education, I really believe that it needs to be more about decision-making around uh, providing agencies with advice and support that really helps agencies direct their care and helps set us straight on what the priority should be. Right. Now, you both talked about the crisis and made that very clear that so often confronts family caregivers. Um, and it's often said, and you'll have heard this many times, that family caregivers are exhausted physically, psychologically, and too often financially. 
which raises the question of cost. So I'm going to ask you both a similar kind of question, but starting with Amy, given that cost is always a consideration for family caregivers unless they're very, very rich, um, in your experience, how much of a problem is it for the types of care you provide and who pays for these services right now? Sure. Well, I think one of the things that I did when, when I started Recreational Respite is we took a good look at how people are going to pay for this long term and other ways that they may be able to access the service without having to pay a great deal of money. And so one of the first things that we did was we found out how can we partner with other services that they possibly have in place. And one of the things we did is designed, um, offered the opportunity for us to be able to design the program in which to skillfully engage the individual and teach the caregiver, whoever the caregiver may be in the case of the, the individual, how to implement that on an ongoing basis. So the client wasn't actually paying extra out of their pocket on top of what they were already paying for in terms of their services. So this has been quite successful, and not only are we allowing the, the team member, the person, the caregiver in the role, um, empowering tools and new techniques to engage their, their client or their loved one, but also, you know, the, the individual themselves isn't missing out on the opportunity to maximize their quality of life. There are certainly a number of funding partners that we work very closely as well, insurance companies, uh, Veterans Affairs, and, and other funding partners. Um, but, but on the grand scale of private pay, we try to be as reasonable as possible. It does have its challenges, um, but we are finding that more and more people are, are quite happy to pay for quality of, of care and quality of service. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of hit and miss with certain individuals. Unfortunately, uh, we certainly wish that there was a funding pool uh, given by public funding programs that could help us allow to, to do more of our programs. Um, but hopefully that will come soon in the near future. Right. Now, I just want you to give me a quick example. Well, you talked about something that I'd call layering on. That is to say, somebody's already paying something, and by judicious kind of maneuvering behind the scenes, you get what they're already paying for to also include the sorts of services you're providing. Now, that may not be a totally fair interpretation of what you said, but... Um, please give us an example of what you meant when you were talking about this sort of jointness with other things that the family family caregiver might be paying for. Mm -hmm. So many of our clients will have uh, personal support workers in place that are currently already working with their loved one and have been for quite some time. And often I'll get the call from the family member that says, this individual, the, PS, the personal support worker or PSW, is wonderful with my mom or my dad um, or my child because we also have children's programs. But their relationship needs a bit of uh, an injection. We want to be able to keep so-and-so on board with my mom, but I'm not sure that she necessarily knows how to engage her at her level of her disease. So what we've done is designed the program taught the personal support worker how to implement it, and then sort of do a check-in every once in a while to find out how it's going so that we're setting them up to succeed in their role because it's really about the relationship-building aspect of that uh, specific situation, and we want to continue on with that. Right. Um, bringing in a new face for someone who has later stages of Alzheimer's isn't necessarily what's best for that individual. So that's one example of how we've done that. Excellent. Okay. Right. What's meant by direct 
pay exactly? And what does it mean for family caregivers? And do you have any examples you can give us? Sure. So uh, in the broader community support services system, I'll speak more specifically to my service shortly, but in the broader system, there's a range of of, uh, pay and non-pay services. So, for example, transportation and Meals on Wheels would be two good examples of a pay program. There is a scale that uh, is provided around affordability, but there are some costs related to those types of community services. Whereas in my program area, supportive housing, the province of Ontario through its insured services pays 100% of that. So if you qualify, if you're assessed and you qualify for Peel Senior Link, our support services would come to you at no cost. So what that means is our personal support workers would be available to you 24 hours a day for the care that you require based on your care plan, and the home helpers would be part of that package as well. And the other related services that I spoke to, some have a fee related to them. So, for example, Chiropathy program has a fee related to it, uh, but other things that we do, such as income tax assistance, we work like Amy does. We work and partner with other organizations, in this case, Revenue Canada. So we have uh, volunteers, many seniors who volunteer uh, who are accountants or worked in that system, and they come in and provide support at no cost. We work with the public, local public health department who come in, and they do uh, educational sessions on flu season, vaccines, those kinds of things. So that's part of it. So in terms of the direct pay, the user would pay a portion of, based on affordability, for those services that I mentioned earlier, Meals on Wheels, transportation, those kinds of things. There are also, Gordon, examples in Ontario and across Canada into the U.S. of uh, direct pay programs that are supported by government. In that case, the government would actually pay uh, or allocate an amount of funding to uh, an individual client and a family who would then make a choice about which vendor they would then use and they would select a vendor. Now, in that case, it uh, could be supportive housing, and we do have a few examples in Canada of supportive housing programs where that's being done. So the money is moving through the family rather than coming directly to the organization. Now, just a point above that, it is uh, uh, and there is a real need for multiple vendors and providers to exist in a community to make that successful because if you have a limited number of providers, then you have a limited choice in terms of who you're going to be using, whether they're public or private. There's also two models that come to my mind. One is a brokerage model, which is being used in parts of the province. Uh, it's, it's not that common, but we do have it, for example, in southeastern Ontario. We have a significant number of brokered services where homemakers uh, are hired by a company um, they go through their security checks and all those kinds of things, uh, and then family can then hire those individuals to come work in their home and pay them directly. So that's a brokerage model. And the, the purpose of that is to ensure that the individual workers have gone through an appropriate screening process and they're tracked that way, but they are paid directly by the individual uh, client and or family member. And the the other model would be more 
as I mentioned, uh, where the family caregiver would be engaged in selecting a company of choice, whether that be public or private. Got it. Very good. Now, it is time for the break again, um, and we're going to come back to a broad summary in the next segment. This is Dr. Gordon Atley, my guests are Ray Applebaum and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned because we're coming up to the summary and the advice. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Ray Applebaum and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is services for supporting seniors, family caregivers directly. Um, now, with both our guests, I'd like to talk you to talk about what you would want to see or would like to see done to move forward with direct support for family caregivers. Now, Amy, first, in regard to the kinds of services you provide or are planning to provide, what would you like to see done to bring more of those direct services to family caregivers caring at home for seniors with Alzheimer's disease? Okay, so to be truthful, I think, first of all, I'd love to see more funding or access to funding for people to be able to get the in-home education that they need for ongoing support of needs. So, you know, we see a lot of these individuals being discharged, possibly if they're coming from hospital to home, and we have a social worker or an occupational therapist or um, come into their home and assess their needs. But then many of the times we see that they're sort of left to their own device to sort of figure it out from there and as the disease progresses that becomes very difficult as we mentioned earlier on in the in the uh, talk so I'd love to see more ongoing support where um, they're being checked in with on a regular basis um, and provided for and and there comes that navigation and access to resources that family members need to know at the beginning of the disease the middle and the end specifically for Alzheimer's but it certainly applies to other uh, diseases chronic illnesses etc 
So that's what I would love to see um, more. And certainly in terms of our service, where we're coming in and doing more of that one-on-one, or whether they're in our group-based programs, we have the ability to help identify some of those needs as well. So um, I think just more access and, and knowledge of, again, uh, getting those programs and services in place for yourself and your loved ones. Got it. Ray, what would you like to see done to bring more direct services to family caregivers caring for seniors at home with all the challenges of aging? So, Gordon, I'm going to approach this a little bit differently than Amy on the same topic. The first, uh, and I'm thinking uh, challenges that the providers in the health system are faced with and need to respond to in order to provide more support and direct care. So I think the first is around how we re-engineer and restructure our health system. And we've been spending the last three to four years in Ontario particularly um, doing that. And I think we've done, done some good work. We have a lot of work to do. And when I talk about that, we need to be, as health system providers, more conscious of the particular needs of individual clients and caregivers from their perspective, not so much from an organizational structure perspective. So it's it's less about the organization. It needs to be a lot more about putting the focus on being extremely client-focused and caregiver-focused in the way that we both receive clients and care for clients and discharge clients from our programs over time. And the, the second part of that is making ourselves more of a system rather than components of a system. It's how do we collaborate and partner in a way that our services not only appear to be seamless, but they are experienced in a seamless way by caregivers and, and by clients. And uh, I think that that's a huge challenge for us and one that we need to continue working on. The second is recognizing that the population that we serve are really, and Amy alluded to this, are experiencing multiple chronic conditions and a higher complexity of care. Why? because they're choosing not to live in long-term care facilities or homes, which is a good thing for those that can be cared for appropriately and effectively at home in a safe environment. But in order to do that, we also have to recognize we are dealing with individuals with much higher acuity ratings. They're coming out of hospitals uh, in shorter periods of time. Um, They're going in for episodic situations and having to come back home because hospitals can't continue to financially care for them, so they are, in some cases, coming home prematurely, and agencies like ours are having to find ways to care for them and not have a repetitive situation where they're back in an emergency department and back in the hospital. Or worse, they're ending up in a long-term care home prematurely or for the wrong reasons. And I guess the last piece is what I like to see us do is put more attention and resources into health promotion and prevention. There's a lot of talk about that in the health system, but there's not a lot of action. To be honest, uh, it's a very small percentage, extremely small percentage of the allocation of the Ontario budget goes into health promotion and prevention. And, you know, with a large not only 85-plus population that I'm caring for, but with a large 55 and over population that are entering retirement early, and they're very well, 
and very able to care for themselves, the sooner that we can start to introduce healthy living and health promotion, prevention, and active living opportunities, I believe that we're going to be able to keep many, many people from having to enter programs like mine. Got it. Very good. Amy, and Ray, too. Amy, first, same question. What's your message that you would like to give to family caregivers about making decisions about the help they need in caring for their senior family members? What's your message to them? Well, I think, again, it comes back to having them be empowered to ask the questions, to get more uh, knowledge about what their options are, talk to the professionals involved, all of them. Don't be afraid to ask um, the doctors or peer-to-peers, uh, you know, their, their others, uh, friends and family that are going through similar things. Um, and, and, you know, call services of support and, and do some of that proactive work. I mean, again, it just comes back to those terrible situations when they're in crisis and then they're left to really make these minimal choices. Um, and then months later they say, gosh, I wish I had have known that this existed and this challenge was here so that I wouldn't be in this situation. Naturally, we're not typically proactive in nature when it comes to health care, but I think being able to talk to caregivers in advance and say, you know, if you have aging parents, be aware of, of services that exist and, and um, don't be afraid to ask the question, I think, really what it comes down to. Very and if good. you're not sure of the question, that's okay too. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that comes yeah. up a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. What's your message, right? Similar. Um, Again, I'm going to keep on repeating this, early learning. And, and I think that, you know, in our lives, it's interesting that we spend a whole lot of time preparing for helping our children reach different points in their lives, whether it's, you know, they're entering into the driving phase and they go through a learning curve in terms of driving a car safely and appropriately. They're getting married and now they're starting to learn about living with another individual. So we, we prepare and plan for a lot of those things. But when it comes to having a sit-down as a family with uh, an individual uh, in your family, a loved one that needs to be cared for, will need to be cared for, and you can see that that track is starting to move in that direction, that's the time to have the conversation. It's not an easy conversation. I appreciate that. But I encourage families to try to treat this naturally. Aging is just a natural process. And I think that it's so important that, that families do spend time talking about, you know, where am I going to be five years from now? Or where do I need to be a year from now, given my circumstances? And I just think the sooner families can sit down and have those open and honest conversations, it's a real tough one to do. I remember, for example, a conversation I had to have with my father about driving. And he was 85, 86 years of age, and he was reaching a point, and he expressed it to me that he was starting to feel uncomfortable and that he probably needed to think about whether he should be driving a vehicle. And he stopped driving on the highway, and he just drove in town, sort of moved from one to the other, didn't drive at night, drove in the day. So he was... He was very, uh, I think he was very smart about the way he approached it, but I finally had to have a sit-down with him and talk to him about it. And it was a very difficult conversation, but I'm glad that I had it. My father, fortunately, was open to that conversation, and he did give up driving, and we found alternatives and ways to get my dad around to where he needed to be. So I just encourage that early conversation. Mm -hmm. And the other one is related to what Amy said, and that's really 
uh, getting out and speaking to providers in the system, people with knowledge about an aging population. There's a lot of people who have the experience just given the very large size of our aging population in Canada and the U.S. So there's lots of people to talk to, and I'd encourage you to do that. And ask them the hard questions. You know, don't be shy to ask questions of them Ray, about good, to... good and bad experiences. I'm sorry, I have to stop you, but we 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 are almost out of time. And just to say back to you both quickly, seems to me that your one of your messages is to family caregivers get planning. But I think you're also saying it's the same message to governments get mm-hmm. planning because. Mm-hmm. Aging isn't going to go away, and my profession, at least, can't stop it happening. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. I want to say a particular thank you to Ray and Amy for all the things they mentioned and the way in which they've integrated their own experience and their own insights and their own work and advice into the message and the messages that they've provided for you, the family caregivers. So in our next episode, we're going to be talking about another interesting question, which is rising out of Ontario's developmentally challenged who are going to court and answering the question, who's challenged now? So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.